There are times when leaders need to relinquish their authority. Do you know when they are? Plus, a boss hero writes in asking for help with her team's bad manners. We're doing all that and more now on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and devoted Oxford comma user, Joe Mall. <laughs> True. Welcome once again, boss heroes, to the show that aspires to be food for the boss's soul. Leading people is among the most challenging work around, but it can also be deeply rewarding. So we are here to lift you up and try to help you succeed. Please welcome my co-host, professional coach extraordinaire, Alyssa Mullet. Hello, my friend. I would like our listeners to know that in the intro that Joe wrote me, citing that he is an Oxford comma user, <laughs> there is then a comma and then his name. Yes. Yes. Uh, I am a little intimidated because grammar police, it ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> I I do what I can with what I got, and I got books and the internet for the rest. Okay. All right. Does this mean that you aren't aware of what we mean by the Oxford comma? I am. Uh, no, I'm not. Okay. No, I, I do not know. Well, whatever. allow what is me it that you speak to of? explain. Yes. Um, so for years, we were taught in school that when you write a list of things, you do not put a, con a comma after the second item in front of the conjunction. Right. So in, in, oh. in our run sheet here, it would say, please welcome speaker, comma, author and devoted Oxford, comma, user, comma, Joe Mall. There would be no comma after the second thing, author. Okay, okay. But that causes a problem in writing. So consider this sentence. This book is dedicated to my parents, Lady Gaga and Barack Obama. Oh, if your we, parents, Lady Gaga and If Barack we Obama. do not use the Oxford comma, what we're saying is this book is dedicated to my parents, comma, Lady Gaga and Barack Obama. It identifies my parents as Lady Gaga as, and Barack Obama. Uh, the Oxford okay. comma, which says that needs to go after the second thing in the list before the conjunction. I'm totally nerding out on the grammar stuff and people are turning off this podcast. <laughs> it don't, should be. <laughs> this book is dedicated to my parents, comma, Lady Gaga, comma, and Barack Obama. And that means okay. they're not my parents. They're three different per personages in my list. <laughs> okay. Thus, the need for the Oxford comma. I get it. I get it now. I thank you for that information and knowledge. We now return to our regular schedule. <laughs> <laughs> I can give you like 17 <laughs> examples of Oxford comma usage, and I am embarrassed <laughs> by that. I share it only because I don't want anybody to think I'm cool. Okay. Well, good. Let's keep us all humble. <laughs> Speaking of humble, go. <laughs> I, you reminded me, uh, great person that you are, uh, that I brought this whole topic of relinquishing yes. authority yes. <laughs> to the podcast. And then I had to figure out how I had done so and in what context because I was not ringing any bells because, you know, I suffer from recency and it hadn't happened in the last, you know, week 
it didn't happen to me. So I went and back and just to and give I our found... listeners a, a picture of what of what Alyssa means is I regularly ask her to send me like what what do you want to talk about on the podcast? What ideas do you want to? And so she sends it to me in emails, and I have this little file in my email for our podcast content. And then when I build the, the show agendas, I go out and I pull them out. So I, I emailed Alyssa. And I was like, Hey, we're going to use this thing that you brought that I think is a really cool idea. So um, yeah, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> and apparently, it'd been a while. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it, well, I, I looked at the email. It's dated in April. So listeners, okay. forgive me. But uh, so I want to give you some context, dear listener, as to where I was coming from in April. And then we'll fast forward to what this topic now means to me today. <laughs> said, I had a Zoom last night with a fellow coach and a dear friend, and she was relaying some of her current client work, specifically with an older white male and leaders who are and how they are struggling to navigate various either required or self-directed relinquishing of their authority in the workplace. And so what at the time that whole situation um, was an outgrowth of what um, I would categorize in the systemic power structures that uh, we are trying to challenge in some ways in our society, right? Race, gender, and then we have on top of it that corporate hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to hopefully make space for people that have not traditionally been in those roles of authority. Mm -hmm. And so she's a great coach and she's done some dynamic work with, with that individual. But what it means to me today in trying to think about it is this whole thing as leaders as, you know, we can do our part, right, to to try to attack um, and dismantle those systemic power structures. Um, and we should be doing that. But what I want to focus on is how does that work specifically for you in your role, in your current job? Mm-hmm outside of those other things, right? And so there's this whole terminology of the power over, right? Versus power with. And Brene Brown does amazing work on the whole power over, power with in her Dare to Lead book. But I'm currently reading her Gifts of Imperfection. And I, again, see prior prior reference, I suffer from recency. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm reading yesterday this section on building critical awareness. And I thought, oh my gosh, this so overlaps with how we as leaders need to try to dismantle some of our own authority and put it in check. We have to build our awareness to our, what can be frankly an addiction to power. It's subtle, it creeps up over time, but I have absolutely felt this in my professional career. Um, And it's something that I struggle with and have to keep a rein on continually. So she she speaks about it as building critical awareness in this list form specific to uh, social media and how you're digesting it. 
but I'll read those to you. And then I, I want to try to think about it and reimagine it in a way that's very specific to dismantling and relinquishing that authority mm-hmm. that we try to really gravitate and hold on to in the workplace, right? Number one is, is what I'm seeing real? Do these images convey real or fantasy? So how does that translate to dismantling our power in the workplace? Are you creating a real life role modeling in your position of authority? Are you devising that in a way that is sustainable and not a fantasy for people to try to achieve? These are ways in which we can try to dismantle putting ourselves up onto that pedestal. I'm going to go forward with the two and the three, but I want to give you the opportunity to say, is this hitting any buttons for you? Are you like, what is the heck is she still talking about? Is she going to make sense at some point or is it resonating (laughs) with you? (laughs) No, these are big ideas and they're absolutely related to, just as you said, in my role, in my job, day in and day out, where might I be allowing the power granted to me by the authority of my position to move me into some thinking or decisions or behavior that is flawed? And I think that's a really important thing for us to explore. Go ahead and finish your list, and let's bring it back to that, because I think that's really where the sweet spot is for our listeners. Okay, so now again, number two, do these images reflect healthy, wholehearted living, or do they turn my life, my body, my family, and my relationships into objects and commodities. So that's pretty straightforward in terms of what are you doing or not doing (laughs) that is perpetuating this concept of people are what they do for you and for this company, that their worth is wrapped up in their professional career, that you care specifically about the commodity rather than the relationship that you have with those individuals. And the third one is, who benefits from my seeing these images and feeling bad about myself? And then she writes, hint, this is always about money and or control. What are they selling? Yes. (laughs) Right? So what are we trying to um, benefit or profit off of? Are we creating in ourselves, again, a critical awareness to the level of impact, of um, control that we're trying to have over people and the money that we're seeking the profits that we're seeking at their expense. Mm -hmm. And so just as a a reminder to our listeners, this list that Alyssa just gave you were questions specifically around social media. And But I I like what you're doing in terms of saying, let's use these questions to then bring it back to what we have to question about ourselves and our own reality uh, as leaders. And so um, I think one of the big things that comes out of that list, Alyssa, that is really kind of tangible for 
folks who are listening is, are we constantly questioning? One of the ways that we have to relinquish authority is to not always instantly trust our first impressions and our initial judgments of circumstances, of people, of their motivations. Because one of the things that we know about our brains is that our brain takes shortcuts and fills in the gaps in ways that are inaccurate. There's a ton of social science research that tells us this is the case. We don't pause to ask ourselves, well, what would make a really good person act this way, right? When we see someone doing a questionable thing, our first plus reaction is to make a character judgment. That is a a, a it's something we've talked about here on this podcast before. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's been demonstrated in, in behavioral economics and social science research that our judgments about people's motivations are consistently predictably wrong because we don't always take the time to ask ourselves, what if there was a perfectly good reason for their actions or decisions? And so this questioning that you're kind of talking about, it, it, it's born of the same understanding of how our brains work. And it's an application that we need to put into our daily lives as leaders, which is question what I'm seeing, question my own judgments, question my assumptions. Am I close? Yes. Yes, absolutely. You, I, as you were speaking, I was like, oh, that reminds me of like, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> to be even more simpatico about it like that we have to be building that in not trusting all the time that yeah my intentions are pure so therefore what i am doing and 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 seeing is pure yeah you, know? you got to keep I, your guard up even for yourself and just to be able to start from the understanding that everything i think i think is perception first and perception is not always accurate you know, and, and shifting gears a little bit, if it's okay, I don't want to pull you away from from yeah. uh, the, this idea too quickly if no. you have more to say on it. But the idea of relinquishing authority for me when you brought it up initially, the first thing that I thought of is what I've heard to refer to as the power dial. Right. In the interactions we have with the people who work with us, sometimes we turn up our power dial and we exert more authority. We, we direct and we command and we squeeze a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that our instinct when we face resistance from employees is to turn up our power dial. We assert ourselves more strongly because of the authority granted to us in our position. I think it, it's human nature that bosses expect people who work for them to do what they ask because they ask. Um, and when that doesn't happen automatically, sometimes we exert more power and more pressure from that power. Uh, and I think that's a trap that a lot of leaders yeah. fall into. Um, when someone fails to comply with directives or is acting in a manner we see as not collaborative, uh, I think people, leaders especially, might feel disrespected. Yeah. And so they, they feel maybe their knowledge or their experience or their role or their authority is threatened. And so... If they experience insubordination, their their instinct is to turn up their power dial. Uh, but we know that actually makes us less effective. Um, we actually become more effective peop with people when we reduce our use of power. Um, and I think that in order to do that as a leader, it means elevating the, the employee in your mind and questioning what's happening in that moment and saying, okay, um, in this moment, I want to remind myself that this employee does some things really well, that this, uh, my success as a leader and, and our team depends on them. Um, and 
there might be a perfectly good reason for them reacting in this way that has something to do with me. And so let me understand that. Let me explore that. I think this kind of self-talk can help reorient us as leaders to a style and approach that is more likely to elicit a better, more collaborative response from the employee. And so I guess what I'm saying is, is in those moments when you feel the urge to turn that power dial up a few clicks, try experiment, try turning it down, turning it the other direction and see what happens. I love that power dial um, perspective. Um, I absolutely have suffered from that. I mm-hmm. um, I think of it now more um, acutely with parenting, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because as you spoke about, like, so I expect, yes. <laughs> right? I expect that they will respect my authority so much <laughs> that they will do what I want the very first time, right? And ask yes. no questions. Don't question me, Yes. right? And so in a professional sense, that's where I think that where we're saying turn down the power dial, I'm saying amplify that critical awareness at the same time, right? Start asking your, those questions. Okay. What? I know, I know I have good intentions, but that power is a, she's a great drug, gets me so high on myself that it can be a real struggle to turn that dial down and turn up the critical awareness. This (sighs) constant battle that um, we have to wage within ourselves as leaders to continue to keep that power in check can sometimes, I think, also get fatigued or we think that it's going to be fatigued if we try to build too much consensus. You know, if we're going yes. out to our employees, right, and we're we're all the time asking instead of directing, then we feel like, well, what do they have me here for? Yes. Right? And so- Or, or others perceive little- us then as wishy-washy and lacking <sighs> confidence in the leadership role. And we spend too much time trying to build bridges and make people happy than truly leading and directing when circumstances call for it. Yes. Yes. So there's this balance of unnamed sugar bits out here. It's a technical <laughs> term. It's a highly technical term. <laughs> that <laughs> that is on one hand exactly what i at least have in my brain um that the leader is supposed to look and feel like right i'm supposed mm-hmm. to command this authority i'm supposed to be the person that people come to and ask and if they're not asking then there's something wrong right <sighs> Versus wanting to be the leader who listens to this podcast, who empowers their people, who gives a great amount of autonomy and respect, and then doesn't want to be that person that nobody needs and kind of works themselves out of the piece of the pie that they have worked really freaking hard for all those years to get to. 
I, I think the takeaway here is the need for leaders to develop situational awareness, and if we and, and to apply it literally every day. If vulnerability is a continuum, and yeah. power is a continuum. Each situation, we have to kind of take that moment to set the dials accordingly, to say, okay, in this circumstance, what is real? What what might be truth? What uh-huh. could be happening here that I don't know, right? What don't I know? And let me, let me figure out how vulnerable I, do I need to be? How much power do I need to assert? Because in some of those circumstances, this you may be it may be necessary to cut right to this is what is happening this is how we're doing it we got to go do it now right yeah. in times of crisis or when people don't necessarily know what you want from them or they don't have the information they need to be successful we have to turn up the power dial a little bit and lead but in other circumstances where maybe we're dealing more with people's emotions or their fears their uncertainties um or or information sharing and gathering we need to dial the power dial dial the power dial back a little bit and show up as that more vulnerable leader who doesn't feel that that sort of draw to assert power and to say, well, I I know what we need to do here. Because maybe you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, um, we've spoken about this in prior episodes about generationally, um, it's easier for fr- some folks to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, build that awareness than it is for others. Um, and I think it speaks to not just, you know, oh, because, you know, people are set in their ways. It's because as you, you know, build your professional resume and you put in the blood, sweat, and the tears, you know what it took for you to get there. And so to relinquish that in any capacity, feels like a deep threat. And so building some compassion for yourself around the fact that, hey, yeah, I did work really hard to get here. And if it all goes away tomorrow, because they deem somebody else is a better fit or my job's not needed anymore, how am I going to lead? How do I want to show up on my last day? Yeah. Right? With these folks that I get to lead. What's my agenda? Yeah. And does that agenda align with my values? Because if it does, then how you lead on your last day is how you led on your first. Or at least mm-hmm. if those values evolved and you tweaked your leadership style, then how you lead on your last day is still not, a, it's not about you. It's still about them, the people you put yeah. at the center of your role as an elite, as a leader. That's a, a that's a perfect little bow on this chat. Thank you for bringing this topic to us. Um, big, heavy ideas in there, and we'd love to hear from you, Boss Heroes. What do you think? What are your reactions to what you heard? What are your questions and ideas about this topic or others for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you at bossbetternow at gmail.com. Just shoot us an email, or if you're watching this episode online, just pop a note in the comments box below. We see all of those. And that brings us, of course to the camaraderie question of the week. With that catchy little ditty you've grown to know and love, bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. That's why every week we give you a question you can use at meetings to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. And our camaraderie question this week, my friend, what is the farthest you've ever been from home? 
Is this a medical? <laughs> a oh my god, the word just went right a out metaphorical? of my brain hole. Yes, Lord, thank you. <laughs> it's been so long since I've been around other like adult humans. <laughs> it's just my second day with my kid out of the house the entire day. I I I don't know how to work. My brain is. <laughs> It's, it, the silence is like, uh, uh, what's room outside of my thoughts that can be spoken? Oh, my goodness. Um, if we're not thinking that this is a metaphorical question, then uh, Rome, Italy. Okay. Was that the <laughs> wedding trip? Yeah. Yes, right. Yes, 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 yes. That is the furthest I have traveled. In my mind, I have... Ugh, been around the world several times. Uh, In my I, mind. In, <laughs> <laughs> I love The depths it. of the oceans. I've flown everywhere. Yeah, it's been to space. Oh, I was going to say, I'm sure that your yours would include space somehow. <laughs> What's funny is that is that you bring up whether are we talking physical distance or metaphorical. And so the first yeah. thing I had to do when asking this question was actually make sure I got, is it farther or further? Because they're different. And so for here's a little oh, pro Lord. tip for our listeners. If we talked about the grammar stuff before, we're just oh. dropping the, the grammar knowledge today. Okay, okay. Um, farther is physical distance. Further is symbolic distance. That's the general rule for it. So if, we're, if the question, I believe I gave it to you as, what is the farthest you've ever been from home? Farthest yes. means physical distance. If it had been a metaphorical okay. or a symbolic question it would have been what is the furthest your yeah. chakras and spirit have ever been from Look at your this. okay learning something two things two whole things i've learned about words and stuff there you go right on this podcast <laughs> nerding today. out today uh the farthest i've ever been from home I, I i may have two answers i always have two answers to these questions uh, my first initial answer was frankfurt germany um but I was born there. I've not been there as an adult. I was born in Frankfurt, Germany. My father was in the U.S. Army. He was stationed over there. My mom was with him. So I was born in Frankfurt, Germany. And then they flew oh back gosh. to the States when I was nine months old. And, and so that was my first reaction to this question. And then I had that thought where I was like, but that's not the furthest I've ever been from home because for a time Frankfurt, Germany was home. But then I was coming mm -hmm. to my new home. And so I kind of decided to throw that out. Um, and so my actual answer to this question is Alaska. I had okay. um, a, a lovely journey to Alaska. I believe it was three years ago now. Um, there was an organization out there who asked me to speak at their conference. Um, and it was a really cool experience. They reached out and they said, we'd love to have you speak at our conference. Uh, we can't afford your full fee. Uh, but what we can do is give you two extra nights at the resort and cover your wife's travel. So what do you say? Oh, wow. And I was like, Done. I would love to go to Alaska, and we had an amazing time. Um, and it was, you know, seventeen hours of travel across three flights from Pittsburgh. Um, but I can't wait to go back. I would love to go back. It's absolutely. It, it is so beautiful that it is an emotional experience. Ah. You, you get to a place like that, and you and you go, man, people need to see this because it mm. is just incredible. Um, and then here's a, a funny coda on the story is um, I had a, a speaking gig right after that in Savannah, Georgia. 
And if you want to identify two points in the United States that are about as far apart as possible and still be considered both in the United States, Anchorage, Alaska to Savannah, Georgia is pretty close. (laughs) That was like 21 hours of travel going the other way, but we had a great time. And um, if you ever get a chance to go to Alaska, please do it. That's so cool. Awesome. Thanks. And that is the camaraderie question of the week. Hey, Boss Heroes, more than once you've heard me say commitment comes from better bosses. But where do better bosses come from? Answer, the Joe Mullen Associates Boss Better Leadership Academy. The managers on your team are going to develop the self-awareness, knowledge, skills, and relationships critical to success in a one-day training. If you want them to motivate teams, maximize effort, and create the conditions for your employees to thrive, they need ongoing education. When your organization subscribes to our Boss Better Leadership Academy, all your leaders get to join me for a monthly learning event. These live coaching clinics, micro trainings, and dynamic virtual summits take just a few minutes each month, and the year-round access to our digital vault gives you all the recordings for on-demand use, new manager onboarding, and more. Oh, and everything we do is evidence-based and highly entertaining, if I do say so myself. Best of all, For most organizations, you can get a year of this continuous leadership development training for less than the cost of bringing me on site for a one-hour keynote. If you want managers to lead well, they need to work on it year-round. It's like going to the gym. If you go once, you'll get a good workout, but no long-term results. If you keep going, though, you get healthier and healthier over time. The same is true for bosses. They need continuous learning and mentorship. So what are you waiting for? Let's give your leaders the skills, tools, and knowledge they need to supercharge commitment and boss better. For more information, including pricing, visit joemall.com forward slash academy. All right, Alyssa, we are going to finish this last segment here of our podcast today with mail time. Such a catchy little ditty. It is. We have an email uh, from a listener. This is an email that we got from Jackie to our bossbetternow at gmail.com account. And she says, hi, Joe and Alyssa. I hope you can help me. I was raised in rural Ohio and part of a generation that believed in really, quote, earning, unquote, a living. I struggle with the lack of values that were embedded in my work ethic at an early age, like professionalism, grammar, etiquette. What advice do you have for someone that supervises a staff that sounds more ghetto than professional and has little sense of manners and propriety? Signed, Jackie. So a lot going on in this email, Alyssa. Um, And I want to start by acknowledging uh, where I think Jackie is coming from, which is a concern for quality a belief that it's her job to create an environment in the workplace that is as high in quality and experience for uh, customers as possible. Um, I'm operating under that, that 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 is the assumption uh, that that that's what she's bringing to the table. Um, Where would you like to start to give Jackie the help she's looking for? Well, so Jackie, I really identify with what you're talking about in terms of how you grew up because I grew up that way too. Very conservative, small town mentality. I mean, I graduated with a class of 36 kids. Uh, That's tiny. 
I went, you know, me being in Pittsburgh is like the big city, uh, you know, me having a title of any kind, uh, you know, she's the business girl. She's the businesswoman. Um, so I get it. I get what you're saying. I, I you do have a little bit of a reaction, though, to that whole ghetto term that brings up some other things. And I'm, I'm, I'll leave that where it is. But I think that when I think about how I want to make sure you're looking at the situation, Jackie, is number one, we talked about in the first segment about the values lens, right? About is it part of your values, right? And I think that this is something that we need to examine in, in this situation is, are the words is the um, the language and how it's spoken, um, your reaction to it based upon your values of how you were raised and now how you see yourself as a professional and what is professional. And so you are now more acutely aware of what it means to be professional and what is deemed professional. So it strikes you um, in a deeper way and it means more to you than it might mean to mm. anyone else, including your customer. That's dangerous, um, isn't it? It is. Mm -hmm. um, so be aware of your own values lens is my first uh, consideration. My second can I, one let is, me can I jump on that just for a quick second, Alyssa? Because when you go, go on the second yeah, thing, yeah. I don't want to lose this first thing. Because if if this is the language that we use to talk about this with our team, they will experience it as a judgment, as a character defect, right? If yeah. you if 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 you if you assert that my generation really believed in earning a living, what you're saying is that mine doesn't. And if you mm -hmm. say my work ethic includes values like professionalism and etiquette, what we're saying is theirs doesn't. And it becomes this sort of black and white, I have it, you don't discussion of what's happening. And th these words are descriptors and they're very subjective. And I think that from a leadership role, when the time comes to give feedback and ask people to change, that's going to bring so much baggage into the room that it's going to get in your way into what you're really going for here. So before I keep going on that point and what and what I think Jackie needs to to do to get where she wants to go, let me give this back to you, Alyssa, because I interrupted you because you had a second point. No, that that's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> you just reminded me though of something, and I will f put it to my other second point: judgment. It does in, invoke judgment whenever yeah. we do that. And so the counter to that is curiosity, right? Judgment. So we need to get curious. And what I would get curious about, Jackie, is, is it affecting your customer service? Mm -hmm. is so be able trying to be able to discern is it your values lens you know is this a real problem right is this a real issue that's outside of you so let's start talking about what the data is in terms of the metrics that are used for those positions is it a customer facing position or is it affecting you know, how your customers are experiencing your team, start to think and get curious about that. 
back to you, you, Joe. You went right where <laughs> I wanted to go, which was, is what is happening doing harm? Or is it just different? Because there are differences across generations in how people talk, react, interact, etc. And before we judge it as a problem or judge it as less than, we have to run it through that, that same lens that you just brought up, Alyssa, which is, uh, is it a problem? Is it doing harm? Um, because this exact question could come from a team that really just has people from a lot of different walks of life whose cultures and experiences and and um, formative years result in them showing up in some different ways that aren't doing harm. And what we would have to do for this particular leader is look inward and say, why is this bothering me? And how can I adapt because it's not doing harm? How can I become you know, more, more tolerant and, and more accepting? Or this exact email could come from someone where the, the staff behavior is a train wreck. And people are delivering out horrible customer service. And, and so in that case, that question about is this doing harm is a great starting point. And then what has to happen next, I think, is moving away from subjective descriptors like professionalism and work ethic to specific behaviors. What are people saying and doing that is a problem? Are they rolling their eyes at customers? Are they talking about customers in the hallways, in, in earshot of other people? Um, are they slamming the phone down when they get a difficult phone call? Those aren't subjective adjectives. Those are specific things we can observe. And so... If there are harmful behaviors happening where you work, Jackie, my advice would be sit down and write them out. Write, write down every behavior that is troubling you and then go back through that list and cross out the ones that might be squishy, might, might be a little bit subjective. Pick the two or three things that you think are the most clear, objective, problematic things that need to be solved and then use that language. Talk about them. Don't talk about professionalism. Talk about uh, affect when customers walk into the office, what, what's happening on my face in, in the volume of my voice. If there are specific turns of phrase that are a problem that your staff use, um, then name those. Don't, don't just talk about professionalism as a generic thing. Break it down into these smaller bite-sized behavioral standards that you can then measure people against. Beautiful, tactical, strategic advice. Excellent. I've got Thank you. one more thing, and it's actually where you said you're going to leave the word ghetto where it's at. I'm not. So okay. I, I'm, I'm just going to give right. Jack, Jackie a friendly piece of advice. Um, that word brings a lot of baggage into the room, too. Um, it's, a, it's a pejorative term with complex connotations around poverty, around race, around education, around socioeconomic status. As a leader, I would avoid using that word for those reasons. Um, you've got a lot here that you're trying to achieve, Jackie. I think you're trying to do it for the right reasons. Let's not use language that can get in the way of that. Um, so I would, I would eliminate that word uh, from your vernacular in the workplace. I think that might be helpful. Um, that's our show this week, Boss Heroes. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, love to hear your responses to Jackie's concern. And, and if you disagree with our advice, well, then you can drop a comment in the box below the video if you're watching us on video, or you can shoot us an email to bossbetternow at gmail.com. Um, these are subjects that I think we will continue to come back to. And I want to leave you today with one interesting little nugget. Did you know that you can say this? Hey, Alexa. 
play boss better now with Joe Mull. And she will. It's one more way you can listen to us wherever you are, anytime. And by the way, I'm sorry if I lit up any of your devices where you're at. We try not to say the A word too often for that very reason. In the meantime, take care, Boss Heroes, and thank you for all that you do to care for so many. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit JoeMall.com today.